priority call from Secretary Ross. There's been a breach at the RAF prison. Yeah, put him through. Tony, we have a problem. Uh, please hold. No, don't. So no matter what, I promise you, if you need us, if you need me, I'll be there. World outside your window, it's still not great. And here on Poster Recaps in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, things could be better as well, but it is nonetheless the Everything is Super podcast, the podcast dedicated to all things MCU. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo. And despite the fact that we are talking about some superheroic infighting, I feel like we're just going to be all warm and fuzzy and get along today. That's my bet. That's what the hope is. And let me tell you, Josh, no matter what happens in the future... You can always call me, beep me if you want to reach me. <laughs> that's a different. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah, but on the, same on, conceit <laughs> on the on the special Kevin phone. Kevin, do you have a beeper? That would be news to me. Oh God, no! I, I wish. Part of me wishes that I did. Right, like just to make either be the most hipstery hipster about it to be like, yeah, I own a beeper, or just reveal that I'm ancient. As you know, Josh, I'm so much older. <laughs> than you are kevin have i said this on a podcast before kevin i don't loves think to so this me, might be new kevin loves to tell like he, like unironically now ironically but he used to unironically love to be like oh wiggler you're so young kevin is six months older than me not quite i think like four months older than <laughs> I, I think I it's am. like four or five months yeah. Yeah, yeah you're so old old man kevin and old man wigs here talking captain america Civil War, technically the starting point of Phase 3. For our purposes, we're kind of viewing this as the close of Phase 2 because I do feel like this is a, a movie that is the end of an era. It is really the thing that sets the groundwork for where we go in Phase 3. Uh, this is uh, an Avengers movie. It's called Captain America Civil War, but it's an Avengers Civil War. This has long been my hot take. Um, I, would, uh, I, I, I would love to hear from Kevin. If, Kevin, you come to this prepared to really defend this as a Captain America movie, because for me, this is so clearly an Avengers movie that is just so happening to be called Captain America. And call me a uh, a jerk who's picking at a nit, but I will pick at that one nit that if there is one thing about this movie that I don't love is that they're trying to tell me it's a Captain America movie, but it's clearly just a Marvel movie. And that's not a problem because this is an almost perfect Marvel movie. I just don't love that you're trying to tell me this is a Captain America movie, because if we're trying to look at this as the end of the Captain America franchise, does not really uh, connect for me on that level in the way that Iron Man 3 did, um, the way that Avengers Endgame did, if like Marvel doesn't do Avengers movies anymore and instead just does like big event Marvel movies. Uh, my, my take has always been, I wish that this was just Marvel Civil War. I think it would have sold. If it's Avengers Civil War, I think that the market showed that uh, there is room for Avengers movies in back-to-back years. That's what Infinity War and Endgame demonstrated. We could have gone from Age of Ultra- Avengers Age of Ultron to Avengers Civil War, uh, and I think the movie would be more honest and upfront with, with what it's all about, because, yeah, there's a huge Captain America story in this movie for sure, but there is an equally huge Iron Man story in this, and I don't think that, like, I can... I don't know. Uh, it, it, it takes me out of it just a tiny bit that you are trying to sell to me that Iron Man is like objectively the antagonist of this movie. Uh, isn't it, Aren't we supposed to be able to take a side here, Kevin? 
I mean, sort of, right? Like, it's really funny because going into this, I re- was ready to be like, no, this is a Cap story. But watching it again, you are right. I mean, like, I think this movie does such a good job of actually portraying both sides in a way that is not done as effectively in the source material, uh, in my opinion, because in the source material, it's hard not to see Iron Man as a villain. It's hard not to see that side, the pro-registration side, painted as villains, whereas this movie does such a good job, such a good job, portraying both sides of this argument that it's hard to honestly conclusively say, like, which is better? Like, I know what side I land on, but, like, the movie presents a good argument. It's actually really interesting because the uh, Superhero Registration Act is a um, forbidden topic in my household uh, because the the you know the people uh, really who, <laughs> yes the people who live here stand very uh, much on the opposite ends of it in the world of comics on how it's presented in the comic book world and to an extent you know we still I still land on um, anti registration for myself even in this movie. Versus, you know, um, on the versus the other side of that. And this movie, though, as mentioned, I think makes me understand the pro-registration side a lot more. And I think the way it's presented is better. The the compromise almost is better. So both sides have a valid point in this. And honestly, I don't know. I, like, I'm just going to get out and say this, too. I love this movie. People give it up to like Winter Soldier as the as the best cap movie, but I'm sorry, this is better <laughs> in my opinion as a movie. Like we can get the semantics like what you're talking about, right? Like is this a cap movie or is it a Marvel Avengers movie? And yes, you are right. It lands more on the latter, but even that said, it has the name and if we're ranking First Avenger, Winter Soldier and this Civil War top like to me. It's so well done, so well executed both in the arguments but also thematically because there's subversions of expectations. The The ending fight is about this argument, which is really fascinating to me because at the end of the day, this is entirely a discussion about the consequences of our actions reflected throughout so many various bits and pieces. And that ending fight was absolutely about that. It was about the consequences of Bucky's action, Tony cap, all of this stuff coming to fruition in this final battle that was really well done. And while it wasn't an argument about like, I don't like pro, I don't like anti. The reasons of registration are prevalent in that battle. Um, and yeah, I mean, I assume you're team cap slash anti-registration, though now I don't well, know. Uh, where, where are you on this, Josh? Are we about to have a fight? No, we're not going to have a fight because I, I, I think I will. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. We're not. I I walked away from the movie feeling uh, very similarly in the sense that I think this movie presents the arguments well. I think if we're going to have a fight, I think the fight is going to stem from the fact that, like, yo, Captain America, like, give and Iron Man, both of you guys need to give each other a little bit of rope. Like, both of you guys need to be able to, like, get off of your bullshit a little bit and, like, work this out. This should not have come to fisticuffs. The, the airport thing did not have to get as blown up as it ends up getting. Um, I think that the, the thing that like, and that, that was like my, my prevalent thought in, in watching the airport scene this time around, forgetting that, certainly not forgetting that Bucky killed Iron Man's parents, but forgetting that Steve knows this. Um, forgetting that Steve is aware that Bucky killed uh, Howard Stark. Uh, that Bucky was the one responsible for for uh, you killed my mom as, as or he killed my mom, which is such a sad Tony Stark scene. Um, 
that I think that is there a reasonable way of de-escalating this? Um, I think that it is it is one of those arguments. Uh, it's one of it's one of those uh, plot lines that really argues the need for hitting a conflict head on rather than like pushing the goalposts. Because the conflict is like, if you're scared of the conflict, the conflict is going to get worse. It's just going to get so much worse the longer you put it off. And if you don't tell Tony Stark that this guy killed your dad and like try to like calmly explain why that might have been the case. It's like he was brainwashed by Hydra. What I'm about to tell you, I want to just start. I want to preface this, Tony, with my friend's a good dude fundamentally, (laughs) but he was brainwashed by Hydra. Uh, And so let's start there. While he was brainwashed by Hydra, he murdered your parents. Like, like maybe there's some caveats you want to like get Tony in a moment where like you can actually have that conversation. Um, But that's not what happens. And and I I think because there is that emotional piece and that is certainly the whole um, helmet Zemo uh, storyline, a character who is, uh, a really compelling villain to me. And I'm very excited that we're going to see more of him. Um, I've just been spending a lot of time with that actor, Daniel Bruhl, who plays Helmut Zemo, um, who is the star of the TNT show, The Alienist, which I just covered very aggressively for The Hollywood Reporter. I did a video panel with them uh, for THR with the stars of The Alienist and also for Paley Fest. So those videos should both be coming out fairly soon. If you don't watch The Alienist, you should. Really, really good show. I swear I'm not being paid to say it. Um, it's genuinely, genuinely great. And I think that the character that Daniel Brühl plays in this movie uh, is such a cool villain, just so unlike anybody else. And like his, his articulation of that fact is, uh, was, is such an exciting moment when he's like, I'm not going to be able to defeat the Avengers by punching them. Uh, stronger people than me have, have tried that tact and it hasn't worked. But if I can get them to punch each other, uh, that might be something that they can't walk back from. Um, so there's there's just a lot of really emotional, like very, very strong emotional content in this movie that is so pivotal for the rest of the Avengers. This movie is the reason why they lose against Thanos on round one, because uh, they are so messed up. They just mess themselves up so badly because no one can get on the same page. And I blame both Cap and Iron Man for it. Um, I, I think that... Uh, I, I think that Iron Man's instinct of, like, we need some oversight. People died in Sokovia. People died in New York. People have, have died in Africa now. Like, all of these people have died because we've been so focused on, um, you know, uh, stopping the bad guy at all costs uh, that we're, you know, we're losing sight of the, like, the foreign exchange student. We're losing sight of the guy who goes to do uh, peace work. We're losing sight of uh, the Zemo family, even. Um, that, like, someone needs to put us in check. And Tony does have that line of, like, it's a document. We can amend this. And I think in a perfect world, Cap has the faith in Iron Man to be like, I need to trust his leadership here, that he can, he can, he can get us to a place where this is what we're doing on paper uh, for now, but it's paper, and we can alter the paper. Uh, and Iron Man needs to get to a place quicker of Cap is vouching for this guy, and Captain America is a paladin. This, is, this man is a paragon of all things good and holy. Uh, and if he is vouching for this person, then there's got to be a reason. And I do think that that's brought up in like the Spider-Man stuff of Spidey and Cap talking and Spidey being like, he says that you are wrong, but you believe that you're right. And that is the crux of the movie. And that's what everything hinges on. 
And that's why it works so well as a Marvel movie, because you are so invested in all of these people. You even if you're like a superhero fan, you've got potentially decades of investment in some characters that make their debuts in this movie. Um, that's why it really, really works for me as a Marvel movie. It is it is less successful for me as a Captain America movie. You said before that Civil War is at the top of the Captain America movie heat, and it is for me as well, purely because it has the words Captain America in front of it. But as a Captain America movie, I would pick First Avenger and Winter Soldier over this one. I think that this is a better movie than both of those movies. It is a branding issue, and I'm trying not to let that impact me too much because that's a stupid reason to to you know hold hold back your enthusiasm on something uh, if everything else is working as well as it's working, and so much is working here uh, that uh, I'm I'm really trying not to be overly petty about the fact that this is called Captain America Civil War instead of Marvel Civil War, which is absolutely what the movie should be. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. Like, you are... You're right in that it's not a Captain America movie at the end of the day, but it has a Captain America story in it. It has it has arcs for both characters involved in this, and I think Captain America still has a story that he has to go through. He has, still has something being told about him. It's just also... There's also a story about Iron Man as well, and a bigger story about the Avengers as an entity. So... Yes, I agree with you on that point, but there is still a Cap story in here. It's just you don't get a definitive answer as like this is Cap as a good guy, you know, as the, as in the right, so to speak. Um, what I like about that line, though, about that Spider-Man says it applies to both ways, right? Like it applies to Tony as well. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful irony of that moment in that line is that Tony also thinks he's right, but he's wrong. Um you know, like I feel like a good place for us to go here, you know, before we get into Helmet Zero, because I definitely want to do that, is the registration stuff. Um, and I know listeners probably want to hear a discussion to an extent about it. So I have a lot of feelings about the superhero registration act. Um, there's two versions, which we can say there's the comic book. This was based on, and then there's this interpretation presented in the movie. The comic that it was based on is a little different. What the registration act was and how it started. Um, for those who don't know in the comics, a amateur superhero team, goes to bring in some villains and one of the villains essentially explodes themselves and destroys a neighborhood, like decimates an entire area. A lot of people die, which is what spurs this registration act into existence. Um, it is not about necessarily the way it's presented here. If I'm not mistaken and not a UN of sorts, it's more about shield and got and U S government oversight into people like the Avengers and Iron Man is very much for it. And Captain America is very much against it. It leads to a huge war between the superhero community where the heroes, if you thought, and Josh, if you thought the heroes should have sat down at the table and had a conversation um, in this movie, uh, they way should have done that way more in the comic. Like, I don't want to, the, the, the writer of that comic, Mark Miller, is, is a great writer. I just want to say that outright. He has some phenomenal stories he's done. He's done uh, Suffer, the ultimate universe that I really love. He he wrote The Ultimates, which is uh, which is this is what a lot of the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe is based on. He's done his own independent stuff that is quite phenomenal. But Civil War, I will just say, in my opinion, not his best work. The characters act out of character a lot. The violence and the extremism of the fighting is insanity. And to me, the argument and the way it's presented is very much Tony is in the wrong. The idea of superhero registration, I can understand. But the way that it presented in the comic was not very reasonable to me. And no one budged at all. Now, 
the movie. I think the movie has a very has a better point, right? You do need oversight when this stuff is happening, but it's I don't know, man. For me, it's really difficult because like I'm of the mindset where yes, in this particular case, Tony created Ultron and that led to that issue happening. But like it's crazy to think like this guy died, it's your fault while they're fighting what they what everyone else sees as a supervillain. What everyone else sees as like this crazy thing happening. The, they're trying to fight it. They're trying to save as many people as they can. They can't save everyone. It's just so... I'm not saying people wouldn't do that because if anything has proven anything right now in the world is that people will find any reason to be mad about stuff. But the fact that it's just like, this is your fault for doing this has always been such a weird issue for me. I think it works better in the MCU because there's less villains than the regular Marvel Universe because in the Marvel Universe, there's like nonstop villains all over the place. Like, there's to be a constant attack of villains if all your superheroes were given like register or quit and they all quit everyone sings a different tune the moment dr doom strolls into town again and in the mcu even though like imagine if all the avengers with registration were just like well we're not going to register and then we quit and then thanos shows up we know that thanos is going to show up like what are they what is everyone going to do in that case i don't know it's weird because at the same time yes there should be oversight they can't just murder people even accidentally and have no oversight for. It. And I do think like a world organization is better. I think it's a better argument for it. But you again, you run into issues. It's a hard line to compromise. I think what this movie does well is that scene that you're talking about. The document can be amended versus this is a hard line in the sand. And I think that's better. It's definitely like an area that I think works because there needs to be oversight. But just having like okay you got to be registered or you will be detained the way they are without tr- like when when Ross just laughs off like a trial are you kidding me like that's not good that's not that's not great the shoot to kill order immediately on bucky without even having the right evidence behind it is not great and these are the type of things that are going to be run into in this process i'm not saying just throw out the window until there's something perfect but it it is all things to consider and you know it's funny because at the same time, while everyone, man, I just been talking for a while, while everyone is very much debating the superhero registration act, if it came to like mutant registration, everyone seems against it. And I agree, like not mutant, like you shouldn't register for mutants because you're born that way. And like, it's not your choice, but I don't know, dude, it's complicated, but I'm just very much like, I don't know. I can't get behind the full idea of like you cause this, therefore you need to be registered. It's like, there's a lot of reasons, but like saying that, like, Oh, yeah, if you're registered, that'll solve the problems. It's just like, I don't think so. I don't know. No, and and I, I, think, I think one of the things that complicates it in the movie for me, uh, in, in a way, and, and uh, in a way that's very compelling, um, and, I, I mean, decades of comic book history lead you to Civil War, as Mark Miller uh, puts it um, in, in the comics, but, but here we just have, uh, you know, you know not quite a maybe a dozen films or so at this point um but you have two characters here on opposite sides of the line who you believe in their sort of um their worthiness and their morality uh absolutely uh and i'm not talking about captain america and iron man i'm talking about captain america and vision these are two people who are both Mm. able to wield thor's hammer 
They are both worthy of such a thing. And these are two people with opposing viewpoints on the matter. That is what is the most convincing argument in favor of registration for me, is if Vision believes that maybe registration should not be turned down out of hand, then like maybe we need to stop and consider it. That's a very good point. I think that the world in which um, you are signing on with Thaddeus Ross, who is still hovering pretty low on the list of, uh, of villains, for us i i'm pretty sure uh he is uh is he is he not no he's not quite our our lowest ranked malekith is still hanging out all the way at the at the 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 tip of the pit um but uh you know if you're siding with general ross who does not only say like shoot bucky on site doesn't he even say like yeah we'll kill steve rogers if we got it to it's like you can't kill captain america you can't kill captain america you can't just shoot captain america that's not a that's not an option you can't do that uh like that guy may be able to win survivor earth's mightiest heroes versus villains but like that's not a guy who you want to be siding with in the argument um so that's like a cautionary thing uh but i think that that's why what iron man is vouching for and what vision outright states iron man is vying for like they're just documents for now let's sign the documents and then like through my sheer force of will because i'm a political animal like we'll get that fixed and we'll get it done right but let's agree for now that this is what needs to be done in case another ultron pops up tomorrow is effectively what he is saying and i think that there is value to that and what vision says in that scene where everybody's first like batting it back and forth is i don't think that this is an idea that can be dismissed out of hand and I think that that is the perspective that I ultimately uh, land on, is it's not an idea that can be dismissed out of hand, but you want General Ross and the General Rosses of the world to be as far away from these decisions as humanly possible. Um, and from Cap's point of view, a man who has just woken up to the modern world, who sees things in a very uh, black and white this is good, this is bad, Nazis are evil, that's easy, Hydra is evil, that is easy, um, but has just woken up to a world in which uh, Nazism and Hydra have infiltrated his country and the organizations that are leading his country, for him to not even trust the United Nations at this point, I think this is a guy who's been burned very badly. When you also have like the last shred of his past on the line, I think that makes it very emotional. So I think the emotionality is very, like the the through line for that stuff is very clear for me, both on Cap's side and Iron Man's side. And I think without the previous movies, the most recent ones, Age of Ultron, Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, those movies do such a, a clear job of articulating where those guys are coming from for me that their positions in Civil War make so much sense. But for me, I cannot just, as much as I, Cap is my guy. Do not get me wrong. I love Cap and, and Chris Evans as Steve Rogers and the moment with him and Spider-Man. Where it's like, where you've got heart, kid, where are you from? Queens, Brooklyn. Like, that's such a good scene. There's just so many great Cap moments in this movie. Phenomenal scene. But I cannot dismiss registration out of hand if Vision is going to say we cannot dismiss this out of hand. Uh, I got to put a little bit of faith in a guy who can pick up Thor's hammer. No, and that's actually a really good argument presented, especially from the Vision perspective, because I did agree with, like, Vision's POV on this. And it's really, it, it is interesting. And I just want to, you know, state, too, like, it's hard to be, like, um, oh, well, Thanos will show up, or a danger will show up, or this other stuff, because it's like, you know, that argument can be very problematic, because it's just like, well, who's going to protect you from the dangers of the world? You should give us unlimited power, and that's way too similar to other crap going on right now. 
But there is, I guess, relevancy to that, right? Because like you got to have accountability, you got to have some sort of oversight. The difficulty becomes, and like you said, you can't always separate a Thaddeus Ross from that situation. That is who it is, and it's just like, well, if that becomes the person in power, how dangerous does it become to use that power to effectively direct us in whatever way they want? Um, but again, this movie presents it better. I think this movie has a very valid point across the board about the need for oversight because of what happened and the lack of marvel history works in its favor like i don't know for me if it was a comic book world that's a bit different too because the idea of a registration of a registry essentially existing of superheroes with their identities families and whatever is extremely dangerous to exist because of the sheer amount of supervillains with extreme intelligence and resources who could easily get that information and just destroy the lives of countless 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 people and yes you're making a choice because you are the you're designed to put on the costume and go fight and all that all that stuff but you know these are also good people trying to do the right thing and i think it's different because we know that they're superheroes in this context because we are viewers and readers looking at them but you know that's the comics looking at this it's so much easier to understand the idea and need for registration it's just the, i don't know the the intricacies of it become complicated when you have a situation where it's just like well wanda has to be confined or the politics of you know of nation involvement and government involvements uh and people involvement right it's it's what they say there's so many things i think that work in theory um so many structures for example that that, that we have in our real world that could work in theory but fall apart the moment you introduce people and humanity because we make decisions as people that aren't always great. And that leads to a lot of issues. But this right here, though, is the power of this film to me, is the ability to leave us still not 100% certain where we should fall. While I do lean more anti-registration, this movie and experience has done a good job of tilting my compass in a way more towards pro registration and the need for something like this. So I think that's a, a testament to that because I was so hardcore anti-registration after the comic. Like, just like, if you were pro registration, get out of here. I can't deal with you. Um, but like my, my opinions have changed and the world has sort of like shaped it and changed it. And arguments within this household has also opened up my eyes to other sides of an argument that could make sense. Um, so, yeah, man, I just, it's its really interesting. It, it's a fascinating part of the story. Um, and how it bleeds out, I mean, I, 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 you know, we, we kind of mentioned this before, but this movie is about those consequences from across the board, right? Like, what happens when heroes show up, when heroes are a bit unchecked, when they, when they do the type of things they do, where does it lead and what can it cause? And we see that throughout from the small stuff, not to say it's small, but in the grander scale, the small stuff of, like, Tony's parents being killed, to the much bigger things of like Sokovia and everything else, it shows the dangers of things like this, the escalation as vision has put it, you know, it ultimate end of catastrophe, which is actually one of my favorite lines. I love that. I love the way that's delivered. And I love the way that it's brought back around in the airport scene. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's really interesting, but they do such a good job of tying it all in with the villain, especially like everything is happening because of that. Everything is happening because of their unaccountability and that is what leads Zemo, you know, to to do what he does in this movie. So it's really interesting and just, 
Oh, God damn, it's executed so well. Not even to mention, this movie introduces us to Spider-Man and Black Panther, like, to totally. epic fashion. Totally. No, but, but I mean, it's a lot of stuff, but this movie <laughs> that was a lot of stuff again. has so much stuff, and, it's, and it works as well as it does. And, and I think that this is... So the Russo brothers directed Winter Soldier. Here they direct Civil War, and then they'll go on to direct Infinity War and Endgame. And um, this movie is not possible without Winter Soldier to the point that uh, Infinity War and Endgame are not possible without Civil War because this is this was this was like the trial run of like can somebody other than Joss Whedon handle this many uh, you know as many characters as in the Avengers movies as Whedon was able to do and the answer ends up being that the Russo brothers can do it at least just as well arguably better and i i think that that comes uh into play later on in future movies um but here it's very 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 close um all of the characters and this is i think that this is the bigger point than like are you pro registration like the thing that matters you know more to me is does it make sense where everybody else falls like does it make sense within the characters who are on the board in this movie that they are landing in the spots that they should land in. And I think that it mostly does. I think that there are characters in this movie that are like put into the movie because like we want to get a big splash page uh, airplane uh, airport battle. Uh, like, I don't know that Hawkeye's coming out of retirement for this. I don't know that Ant-Man who's just like, I don't want to get in more legal trouble is like going to do this just because he wants to impress the Avengers. Uh, like so, I, I think like maybe there there are a few things there. I think Spider Man wanting to impress Tony Stark that makes a ton of sense that he would be recruited. I think Black Widow having um, changes of heart about the matter makes a lot of sense to me. I think I'm a little less convinced on uh, where Wanda Wanda where she winds up with with everything, considering she is feeling so much guilt over what she did. That I almost feel like she might be like pro registration to a certain extent, um, but I think I think that they're like little things that you can you can pick at there. But it's mostly really consistent with character, and that's a huge credit to the team that is putting this movie together. That will put Infinity War together. That will put Endgame together. And it's funny because you think about Infinity War, and Infinity War is such a shocking movie because the good guys lose, but the good guys lose in this one too. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. This is a winless movie. This is a movie without victory. It is a, it is a sad movie. Um, it is funny though, and it's dramatic, and it's it's all the things you want out of uh, out of an Avengers movie. So um, it also introduces so much. Uh, the fact that it can do all of that while like telling like a really good vision story, um, while telling like a really like making you feel awful about War Machine. Like I feel like they tell a good War Machine story in here, and then they are not just telling uh, you know a very good uh, Spider Man story in here or telling a very good Black Panther story in here. They are telling the MCU's very first. Spider-Man and Black Panther stories in here while also having a villain in here that is going to be like a subtle villain uh, like a chess piece mover who is going to walk away I think from this podcast as being one of our top villains in the MCU so that's so much stuff that's going on I don't think we uh, should go much further without really stopping down on Black Panther and Spider-Man and their roles in this movie. And it's interesting to me, Kevin, because in the comic book, 
Spider-Man is sort of the fulcrum piece, right? Where he is pro-registration to the point that he unmasks himself and, and outs himself to the world as Peter Parker uh, in the comic books on behalf of Iron Man. And then he, he has the real change of heart, and he and Iron Man have a falling out, and he teams with Captain America, ultimately. And Black Panther... Um, you know, is going to be the guy who's like, not that he's like really on Iron Man's like side. He's his own man very much, but he's a fulcrum piece in this movie in the way that I think Spider-Man is almost, you have to look for it, but he's, he's, he's a Captain America mirror in, in many ways, I think in this movie, um, that he is, you know, the young scrawny kid, uh, from a New York city, uh, borough, um, who is being given his chance to fight in the big leagues. Uh, and so like, I, I think like you could, he's like signing up for the war. Uh, he just wants to be part of the good fight. Um, so I think you could see a lot of that cap in him, but black Panther's role in this movie really is, um, sort of like the, I don't know. He's like sort of like the not. He's not a cynic. He's 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 like sort of like the skeptic uh, skeptical observer. Uh, he really is believing in things in his very steady way. And I think we learn so much about this guy that makes the movie Black Panther so excellent because we 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 go into that movie understanding this guy's principles, understanding his potential, understanding how freaking awesome he is in a battle, but understanding that he is somebody who will stop down and assess a situation and is not afraid to change his mind if new information presents itself. Um, this movie, on top of all of these other things that it's doing, on top of the fact that it's going to set the deck for Infinity War and Endgame, which is so important, um, it it really sets the stage so well for both Spider-Man and especially Black Panther, I think. Um, and the fact that those are things that are accomplished in the space of all of this, like same two and a half hour movie is kind of crazy to me. I mean, it definitely shows like the ability and accomplishment of the Russo brothers, as you said, right? Like the questions of, uh, can they be as good as Joss Whedon was in the Avengers? And I think to this, for me to this movie, you know, yes, it reaches, but to me, it it reached beyond. I think the way they handled all the characters, you know, you called out uh, Black Widow switching sides, but you just mentioned Black Panther also switched sides in this, ultimately. Where he lands at the end is a bit different than where he started off from. And I think that's really important and really powerful, because like what you said, it sets up who that character is and what his mindset is like. And that is something we're going to see reflected in Black Panther. It's not someone who's just rigid right or wrong, and the good guy is going to be right at the end of the day. You know, Black Panther, as I kind of mentioned, is to me a story about how the good guy learns that they are very wrong and the bad guy kind of has a point and is sort of right and we got to adjust to that. And I think that you see that here where his viewpoint gets reflected. He was so consumed by vengeance as they all are. But at the end, that moment with him and uh, Zemo in the snow is phenomenal when he stops the bullet. It's such a great moment and such a character defining moment. Um and even beyond that, like looking, there's the character stuff, but there's also the action stuff. To me, it gets taken to the next level here, to the Whedon level, so to speak, of the first Avengers and possibly even built beyond that. The airport fight scene, while not the fight scene, the final fight scene, is arguably one of, if not to an extent, the best fight in the entire MCU. I think they do a good job of handling each character, showcasing each character's power, um, showing why each character is engaging with another character. Uh, featuring why the heavy hitters are busy. Like, 
normally it's just like the most powerful character is why why isn't he just doing this and a lot of times it's they either have a counter someone on the other side countering it or in this case you know they're doing something in specific that keeps them from just knocking everyone out i think there's a really good viewpoint in terms of balance of power here and and in this fight that's really shows the level of thought that they put into it which isn't even to touch on the humor of the fight you know we talked about the drama of registration we talked about the action here but the humor you kind of mentioned is so amazing i mean the, the that line of course the queen's brooklyn is so great but it's also pretty funny because like we're both new yorkers and to us we're just like yeah that's that's how that would go like there's something very like real and personal about it like everything spider-man says i think is really funny the shield not <laughs> defining any laws of physics the the fact is have you ever seen that really old movie you know oh you have a metal arm cool when he shows up he's saying you have the right to remain silent like spider-man is so great and it was the first time and to me compared to even all the other spider-mans i think tom holland does the best job of being spider-man and i think that's part of the writing is that he is the most in character as spider-man in the comics I think out of anyone else that's come before and especially in the terms of the quipping and the comedy that he brings forth. I think this movie really sold me on the want of another Spider-Man movie at the time right. before this movie. I was like, Oh, another Spider-Man. There's been like 20 of them. Why do we need another one? And walking out of this movie, I was like, I need another Spider-Man movie, especially because of Tom Holland. He does such a good job playing Peter Parker I want to, you know, uh, I think a, a friend of mine, a uh, comic book writer, James Tynion, uh, said i think uh that peter parker is a very nice young man and that is such a good encompassment of that character in this movie and in everything that he has coming forth but it's so very true there's something so instantly likable and lovable about this character uh so yeah i mean there's that there's uh the bucky the bucky stuff the bucky and and falcon stuff gets me so excited for the falcon and winter soldier uh tv show like, oh my God, every moment of just the, I hate you. And the like, can you move your seat up? No, like it's so good. And I, I, I'm so excited to see that reflected moving forward. But I think that's the power that they did in this movie is that to me took a little bit beyond Whedon. Sometimes people say that Whedon characters all kind of read the same or a little bit similar at times, which I think is somewhat true. Um, this movie wasn't that. I think every character was well-defined to the point of their dialogue and delivery of jokes even felt on point for them, you know? Totally. Yeah, I think that there is a real sense of individuality to each person uh, that really hits with me. Um, I, w- I-, I was really impressed by that in, in this go around and-, and probably even more so than I should have been, uh, considering how much I think that that is a thing in uh, Infinity War and in Endgame. I think that they just get those characters so well. Um, the, you know, the-, the whole squad that works on this, it's not just the Russo brothers who direct it, but it's Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely who've written a lot of the great MCU movies, including this one and um, the, the up to now at least final two Avengers movies, um, that they just, they definitely do like hone in on what makes who, who, you know, like what makes this person tick? Why is this person the way that they are? It feels like there were, there were very rich conversations that must have been had creatively um, that got everything to this headspace and it's it's why like the way that we're even podcasting about these movies you know it's it's all it it really is almost more instructive it's like i i at a certain point you have to you have to let go to a degree anyway of the idea that like 
well, it's not the it's it, this is a this is an Avengers movie. It's not a Captain America movie. As a Captain America trilogy, this is a little bit unsatisfying. Like, sure, that may be true. Yeah, Josh, <laughs> you know, Wiggler, you know, guy, like that may be that may be true. But what you're talking about with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a sprawling, massively budgeted television series. Uh, it's you know that is the scale of the storytelling. They are doing something here over the course of 20-plus movies that is building to a point. We are building to a series finale. Um, you know, It's not the end, 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 end of a franchise because they're going to keep milking money as long as they can, uh, and certainly if they are able to continue making stuff. Uh, but like, it is, the, it is the end of an era. They are building to the end of a storyline. Um, and when you when you view it from that lens, like you imagine Kevin Feige is like a showrunner. He is like he is like a Damon Lindelof on Lost. Like that is that is what Feige is doing with a writer's room, with like a creative council in the Russos, um, in um, in Marcus and McFeely. So I think that 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 helps to register why some of these characters just like feel so lived in in this movie. They really are just talking about the individuality of all of these people. It's really crazy that it all works. It's really crazy that it all came together. Um, it's it's probably the least crazy of like the crazy things. The least crazy thing is that Black Panther is in this movie. Black Panther was a character that they wanted to to get into the MCU for a long time. There was a point in time where it was believed that Black Panther was going to be in Phase 2 and was going to be in that Guardians of the Galaxy spot. Um, obviously, Black Panther is forthcoming later in Phase 3. So this was a character that was always going to be on the board. That was somebody that they were always looking to, to introduce. So there isn't a lot of like legal loopholes or contract stuff there's nothing miraculous in that realm that needs to happen in order to include that character in this movie it's pretty crazy that they are able to get all of the other marvel characters that they get in this movie but especially iron man considering the robert downey jr deal and i know that this was a big point of contention and there was a lot going on behind the scenes including uh, uh the the voldemort of the mcu uh ike perlmutter uh who really did not want iron man to be in this because it would raise the budget so much they worked it out however they worked it out it worked out rdj is able to sign on for this movie and this movie doesn't happen and i wonder what the mcu looks like without it um do they just have to outright call this an avengers movie is that something that they could do i don't know um but the the obvious crazy one uh if iron man is sort of like the the second billing crazy thing that they were able to get robert downey jr for this movie is uh all of the the legalese that needed to be uh you know cut through in order to get spider-man in this spider-man and the rights to the spider-man universe belong to sony um they still do a deal was struck that allowed Spider-Man to appear in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe while Sony retains the rights to the character and the ability to make Spider-Man movies. This is still like an ongoingly tense thing, but the fact that any of this has happened so far, that Spidey has shown up in Civil War, that Homecoming and Far From Home are things, that Infinity War and Endgame are things, and... At least currently, it appears that there will be a third Spider-Man movie and potentially beyond starring Tom Holland. All of that is absolutely crazy. And what I'll share with you as far as a behind-the-scenes tidbit that I can attest to is that Captain America Civil War was the third 
of three Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that I got to see in person. I was a fly on the wall, an ant on the wall, (laughs) on the set in Atlanta uh, for Civil War reporting on behalf of MTV News. And I was there with a bunch of other reporters. It was very surreal. We were there uh, to to watch the big run-up between the two sides on the airport tarmac on this really, really big green screen set in the blisteringly hot Atlanta heat uh, with all these poor guys who are making so much money so they're not so poor uh, in their <laughs> super suits. Um, and Spider-Man was not there. Tom Holland was not there. And I think that it was in the news. It was percolating in the news at this point. But I don't know if all of the the T's were crossed and the lowercase J's dotted. Um, But one of the people in the costume department, as the gaggle of reporters asked, like, what was the best costume to work on in this movie? That person was like, oh, the Spider-Man suits for sure, because there's a couple of them and they're really, (laughs) really cool. But we were being told, like... Spider-Man is not officially in this movie right now. We cannot talk about it. Like, no one would talk about Spider-Man. And movie was in production at this point. So that is like the the level, like that is how high the plate was spinning in the air uh, as far as the spinning plates juggling act that's happening here with Spider-Man in this movie. The fact that they pull it off and make it feel like he is... Um, there's a version of this movie where he's not in it and the movie is is still great. Um, but I do think that the Spider-Man ser- story serves as a great microcosm for the Captain America story. And I, and I think also Spider-Man being in this movie lets you shortcut past the Spider-Man origin that at this point we had seen way too many times. Uh, still, uh, we have, if we never see it again, Dayenu, um, you know, but it, it shortcuts us past the need for even like the Uncle Ben stuff. We don't even need to talk about Uncle Ben because what, what Marvel is very cleverly baking into their Spider-Man cake right now, because I know cakes are a big thing, uh, is that Tony Stark is going to be his Uncle Ben. Tony Stark is going to be the loss that is going to transform Peter Parker, ultimately, I think. Um, And this movie gives us an opportunity to establish that relationship, which allows Iron Man to be such a great part of Spider-Man Homecoming, which allows the sacrifice that Iron Man makes in Avengers Endgame to hit the way that that hits and allows for Iron Man to to um, be a really great piece of like the button on the Infinity Saga, which is Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, and a lot of things had to happen and a lot of like a lot of corporate miracles had to occur in order for this to happen. And it is the kind of thing, Kevin, that does give me a little bit of faith in the idea that maybe just maybe humanity might make it. Uh, like if, <laughs> if, if Disney and Sony could come to terms over Spider-Man, maybe we'll be all right. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, there was a chance that it wasn't going to for the third one, but it, it happened, right? Like it got, well, it's going to happen. The deal, a deal was struck. Uh, again to make this third movie that this upcoming happen and i'm i'm excited about that i mean i i look i i, I don't want to get into the corporate chicanery and nonsense that 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 is involved in terms of like good bad you know monopolies all that stuff because like uh, my feelings on that are different <laughs> than my excitement as a fan um and then my excitement as a fan is very high again i'm thrilled you know that marvel was able to have a part in the Spider-Man story here, you know, uh, we've had a couple of versions before. The Tobey Maguire, the first two, are are were held very high, especially that second one for a very long time. Andrew Garfield existed, um, but like this 
Tom Holland version, having the Marvel of it, right? Like, the, I think a big part of the Marvel of it all is having people who love the comics, who respect the characters, who feel for these stories, who want to bring those stories that they read and enjoy and actually bring them to the screen without making them more corporatized or not corporatized or um, um, broad or whatever to fit the studio, whatever. Um, they did that with Spider-Man. And this Spider-Man to me, like there's things that people talk about, about like, you know, oh, well, Spider-Man, you know, people like him and that's not Spider-Man. And to me, it's just like that is addressing into the Spider-Man story. This like Peter Parker, the version of the of the character we see here as Spider-Man, as Peter Parker is the closest and most accurate version in terms of how his personality works and who he is as a person than any other that's come before. We see the change that happens, you know, as we will get to in Far From Home, that that will propel him to the quote unquote version we see in the comics in terms of how society views him. But as a character, he's so spot on. And that is, I think, very much attributed to this deal that Marvel struck with Sony. And I'm glad that it happened for that as a fan because it's like it's great and like homecoming is such a phenomenal film and we wouldn't have had i think that good of a film had marvel not been involved in it had this deal not happened and it is crazy as a fan to know its existence it's the same way that it's crazy as a fan to know that the x-men now exists and fantastic four now exist um as a potential uh to to come into the, the 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 cinematic universe so to speak um so it's really exciting and it's really fun and just yeah again everything that had to happen for this movie is so weird because there was so much behind the scenes stuff but it didn't end up like age of ultron which felt bloated as we mentioned right like age of ultron felt overstuffed we saw the seams there was no seams here in this movie to me like this movie was so well executed in terms of all of those pieces all the behind the scenes stuff not even in terms of the story which was great in terms of the villain which was great in terms of the action which is great uh, just the fact of the behind the scenes stuff that happened is amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's spectacular. It's web. It's whatever other Spider-Man comic book names we want to throw in there for adjectives. You go to the X-Men and call it astonishing, you know, extreme, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's nuts, Josh. It's nuts. And uncanny, uncanny. It's uncanny that it all happened. And like every time I'm thinking about Peter Parker right now, like I'm not even that huge of it. Like Spider-Man is not my favorite marvel character but <laughs> every time i think about tom holland as peter parker and end this role it just makes me smile because he does such a good job and he's such a great contrast i think like what you said to cap and his story i think there is something there that maybe that's what appeals to me and that reflection uh it's really it's really well done and you know the little stuff that we see carry through you know this of course the airport scene plays right into the beginning of homecoming is great how the echoes of this film come across everything else we're going to see from the bigger details like that to to even the smaller details there's a there's a moment here where it's really funny but when uh uh hawkeye our favorite is fighting black panther and he's just like i don't think we've met i'm clint and he's just like i don't care it's a great line but there's a moment in endgame that's so amazing because clint has the gauntlet and black panther sees him and he's like clint hand it to me and it's just it's so small but that had to be on purpose that it had to be on purpose to show how these characters have changed and where they've and, and where they've been and where they are now to have black panther when he first meets him say i don't care who you are to have that moment of him reaching out his hand and is like clint hand it to me like phenomenally well done and i think again like the, the writers the, the the directors the the, the the everyone involved in this uh the costume makers because that spider-man costume is dope um did such an excellent job uh in this film even though they blabbed <laughs> all the press i can't even imagine how many pr people just ran into the room and was like shut it down shut it all down <laughs> that happened 
it was it was it was pretty immediate after the interview after the interview was done uh it was pretty like hey so that stuff about spider-man don't report that uh but i i think like that is that has come out since then uh don't don't at uh, Disney and ta- and snitch tag me on this one. I think uh, this feels yeah, like leave a us pretty, out of this. <laughs> uh, fine secret to reveal. Let's let's obviously you and I you and I are obviously very high on this movie. The audience is super high on this movie as well. And I want to get into the feedback and pull in some of the reviews. Uh, this is from Professor Strunk, the great Professor Strunk. Uh, Strunk writes in, I love this movie. I feel like this is the first time in the MCU that Disney dumped all the action figures out on the table and said to the Russo brothers, have at it. And rather than resulting in an incoherent mess, you get a thrill ride. First of all, the action scenes are epic. The Russo brothers excel at using each character's unique style and abilities, as well as letting those abilities play off each other. This is on display from the opening action scene to the epic airport showdown. Secondly, the character introductions. Black Panther and Spider-Man in the same movie without it feeling hurried? How did they manage that? Third, you know I'm a sucker for the moral message in a movie, and this one has the added layer that both sides have merit behind their arguments. You could truly come out on either side. The villain, if you will, is a breakdown in discourse that leads to violent conflict. End conclusion, the Russos are already wizards, and we haven't even gotten to Infinity War or Endgame. So that is from Professor Strunk. This one is from Hart. Hart writes in and says, Finally, one of the best Avengers movies. And let's call it what it is. This is an Avengers movie. Everyone came to the party for this one, or at least enough people did to make this a total freaking blast. So many big iconic action sequences here, the opening in Lagos, the finale at the Biolab, and the midpoint climax of the showdown at the airport. It's like they took the action of Winter Soldier and amped it up to 11. Um, And even to jump ahead uh, a little bit, because obviously we love to do our rankings here. Uh, We do our Infinity Stone rankings. And basically, everyone is very, very high on this movie, Kevin. We have one person who rated it in the threes, a couple who rated it in the fours, but everybody else is in the five to six range. Uh, Civil War, uh, whether you came out on Iron Man's side or Captain America's side, it seems like almost everybody came out on Captain America's Civil War's side. Who are the threes and fours? Who are the, who are you people? <laughs> no, don't at me. Um, yeah, I mean, and and I think rightfully so. We didn't even get into you know the 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 villain of it all, but like I think what's also really interesting about this movie is that so many things that came before are about these world ending you know disastrous consequences. It all hangs in the balance type stories, and this is a very personal story, both for the characters for the moral philosophy of registration to even just the the stakes themselves at the end of the day aren't world ending. They aren't disastrous. They aren't so high and like crazy. It's all very, very personal. And it's such an incredibly well done job for that. And I think, you know, having the villain, you know, we, we kind of touched on him, but like one Daniel Brule is phenomenal in this role. I think his delivery and his subtleties are incredible and just, I love it. Uh, before even you know this, I, he was always very high on my list in Marvel uh, MCU villains, and people were almost surprised by that. But I think he's so well done because he's not your punchy villain. He's a very intellectual villain, something we haven't really seen and don't really see again. Like this is the, this is what Lex Luthor should have been. You know, this is this is how you do this type of story about someone who's bringing things down from the inside for a very personal reason they have a connection not to the hero's dad not to the you know the mentor to the actual 
people involved and that he's against. So that passes that rule, which is so rare, it seems, in the Marvel movies. And you have someone who who takes him down for reasons that are his and for a strategic way. And I think it's so important that what this movie did set up this expectation from us, right? Because the fight in the airport was not just Cap protecting Bucky, but Cap believing like, no, you don't understand. There's going to be these other super soldiers, these other winter soldiers that we have to go and fight and we will defeat them and we will show that the unity of the heroes will triumph because these people released will destroy the world and you have Tony finding that out and him going there and they set up this idea that it's going to be the heroes will fight the bad guys and they will win and it's the end and they were proven that heroes are important and no that's not what this movie is that is not what this movie is about and i love that it would have undercut the message of this film so hard if we had ended with a with with them essentially being quote-unquote right and then having this brawl with these other like enhanced uh, uh villains uh the fact that it came down to like this fight between iron man and bucky and cap was so important and so well done and i just it it blows my mind that kind of writing you know that that kind of storytelling uh as a person who who fancies and wishes themselves to be a writer uh it's just you see this and you're just i'm so impressed and i'm so in awe of of the, the being able to pull this off in such a great subtle smart way um and that's you know one of the many reasons I like this this character especially and it seems like the fans are all against this except for a few but uh yeah i just josh this movie's great this movie's great it's great. It's, it's good that we're ending phase two here because it's giving phase two a really, a really bright shining light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're adjusting the goalposts again to, to make this the phase two ending, but it definitely is putting a lipstick on a pig to a certain <laughs> yes, degree. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, to a certain degree. I, I will say to, to add but to But it your is an Empire Zemo Strikes point. Back style ending. It deserves. Yes. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, to, your, to your Baron Zemo point, uh, David Lipkin had written in and said, Baron Zemo is an iconic Captain America villain. The helmet zero we see in Civil War is nothing like the Zemo depicted in the comics. Yet Civil War receives none of the complaints that Iron Man 3 does. And I think I know why. It's because Zemo subverts the audience's, audience's expectations without leaving us feeling like we were cheated. We don't mind that we didn't get what we expected because we get something more interesting instead. Um, what do you what do you think about that in terms of like the point of comparison between the the helmet zero reveal versus the the Mandarin is secretly Trevor reveal because the Mandarin is secretly Trevor reveal really is like more of like a joke basically you know it's 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 less uh, I think it's it's it is less interesting I I would I would definitely say I I think that Trevor is like a funnier character and I love the Trevor stuff and that is like it's a totally different note than the helmet Zemo thing. Um, but I I do think that you walk into the end of the movie expecting Cap and Iron Man and Bucky to, to tool on some winter soldiers, and instead uh, they have been pitted against each other in like this much more painful way than they had already experienced. And that is that is the hinge on which the movie swings. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do our informal final battle rankings, and I'm gonna fight very hard for this to be the second best final battle that we've gotten so far. Uh, hopefully, I won't have to fight too hard. It's so emotional. It's so unlike anything we get ever, anywhere else in here. In the same way that Ant Man is like that. Um, and, and why Ant-Man landed pretty high is because it's just like, it, it looks unlike anything. It, it's, it's stationed, uh, unlike anywhere else. This is a, a battle where the stakes 
are you're watching you know two best friends like pull each other's hair out in huge superheroic fashion uh and i think that that all hinges on um the success of zemo as a character absolutely and i it's it is interesting that is an interesting comparison to bring up the trevor of it all um I think there is there is truth to that. I think it's also not just the movie so much as uh, to call out my own my own um, um, industry, but the marketing. I think is where where it, it's another place that I think it differs from Iron Man three from this because in Iron Man three, I distinctly remember the marketing leading really heavy, painting the Mandarin as this villain, teasing everyone with these like videos of of his like uh, his proclamations and stuff like that. They really set up you know the Mandarin as as we as we thought he was going to be as the villain of the piece, only to pull the rug out from under us. I was a little more okay with it, again, because I also think Mandarin, and, you know, Mandarin is maybe a little more known of a character as well than uh, than Zemo, for sure. Um, but they didn't do that here, right? Like, all the marketing in Civil War was about the big discussion, a big fight, the big battle between the two, to the point that we thought, like, yes, the, the registration is going to be the, the crux of the film. And in a way, it was, but it, I think that also contributed to it in my opinion is just what the expectations were also on a broader scale of what was set up. Um, but yeah, when let, uh, when we get to our rankings, which probably might be happening soon, I think we will have a discussion and I don't think we're going to end up fighting, but we'll see uh, where we go on that. But the, the ending battle is great. I mean, the choreography, but the emotion is very, very important in, in how that all played out for sure. Also fun fact. Uh, the one thing about this movie that I definitely remember is that I did not put together that Bucky killed his parents like as soon as I should have. I, I was like near the very end of the film. And then I was like, oh, I see what happened here. And it's just like, ooh, as a person who often prides himself in like calling what's going to happen. Like I was very much just like, oh, I didn't I didn't call that as soon as I should have. Like, I think Robin got it like halfway into the movie. She was like, oh, I know. I, I know what's going on here. And like, no, Kevin just blank slated <laughs> the entire time. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. But when you, when you watch it back on the rewatch, uh, there's there's so much there that leads you to uh, to, to that reveal. So they, they really layer that. They really layer that in. Um, Zach writes in, uh, and before we get into the rankings, this is one thing that I, I, I... Let's just talk about for a second. Zach writes in and says, only real weak spot is the Sharon Carter stuff. It just doesn't work. The romance is awkward. The eulogy is too convenient to what Cap needs to hear at that moment. Um, I do think that Sharon Carter as a character in the MCU, Kevin, uh, it's it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And it's so weird, especially knowing that like Cap and Peggy are going to end up together. Like they are gonna have to. It, it, Cap is a guy who he tells you what's up for the most part, unless he's gonna apply the Tony Stark rules of like, well, Tony, I thought it would hurt your feelings if I had told you that Bucky killed your parents. Uh, is he gonna like have to have a reckoning with Peggy eventually? Well, Peggy, I thought it would hurt your feelings if you found out I made out with your niece. I love it. I'm so glad this was brought up because I can't believe I forgot to talk about this. But that stuff reads so much more interesting and hilarious. Uh, on this watch knowing what we know now like I, you have to consider like like sharon had to grow up as a kid knowing some sort of like uncle steve not knowing that uncle steve is the steve that's gonna be the steve that she makes out makes out with in the future but he knows that that is the sharon that he made out with at one point while he's with peggy like when she shows up at a certain point is he just like i'm gonna this is weird i i got i'm gonna go for a run and like leaves like it's just so weird to think about like what that looks like from his perspective now like when he goes back in time and he meets like 
like little Sharon Carter in his head. It's like a Jacob in Twilight situation, like a weird, not imprinting, but close enough to be like, oh, no, I made out with you when you're an adult. Like, it's so <laughs> I just love thinking about that weirdness. And like you said, like, I don't think he can tell Peggy. I don't think he can tell Peggy about it. It's just too odd. Yeah. Um, the right thing to do though, is like to not actual, say no, never say anything. And I think it is odd. It does. It does. Like you know, unfortunate. It is unfortunate the Sharon Carter stuff doesn't play out. But I think that's also attributed to the fact that Peggy Carter was alive. I think in this in this uh, version of, of events, right? Like in the comics, uh, Peggy Carter is very much uh, have has passed away, and Steve in present day doesn't really interact with her. Someone's going to correct me and say I'm wrong, but you know, in, in 800 issues, I'm sure, but. Um, that's important because that connection isn't there. So the Sharon Carter, this sort of like works a little bit better and can exist. Whereas I think in the movies, having Peggy around, having him still have that connection, it is hard from then to just jump on, onto also his niece or, or uh, her her niece uh, in present day. It is a weirder, stranger thing. Um, so it doesn't work, which is unfortunate. I thought a lot of us thought that's where they're setting up, but I think it was important in setting up where Cap's ultimate journey is going to go. Um, as we saw in Endgame, as he goes back in time and then has to raise Sharon Carter's Uncle Steve with like maybe a mustache. Maybe that's what he does. Like, is that how he looks different? Do you think it's just like Steve with a mustache and he's just like, this is me, Uncle Steve now? Like, I also don't think like he, he would he have changed his like first name. Like, maybe he went by like Steve Smith or something. I feel like it'd be weird if he changed his first name too. So he's still like Steve in the Roger, past. Roger Steve. Roger Stevens. <laughs> But, like, that would be weird, because then, like, Peggy has to call him, like, Roger from then forth, which is not going to work, because isn't Roger the name of... No, someone else. So who's Roger? I'm no, Roger that's... Steve. Uh, <laughs> this is my brother, Rick. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, we'll see someday uh, what all of that looks like. Kevin, <laughs> let us not uh, uh, dilly-dally any further. Let us do our rankings, which I think will actually happen pretty quickly because it would appear like we are on the same page all the way across the board. I've got the cheat sheet in front of me. I don't think that's happened before. It's been a long time. Um, you and I are both 5.9s out of 6s on Captain America Civil War. And I know where it, it, it falls short of a perfect 6 for me is that this should be Avengers Civil War. And I am being petty and I am preventing it from having a perfect 6 for that reason. And then I guess like maybe if I want to give it another real reason is the Sharon Carter stuff is so weird. Doesn't work. Otherwise, it's a basically flawless movie for me. Yeah, I wish I could honestly, because like I came in wanting to be a six. Like after the film, I was like, I feel like this should be a six. But there was something, and, I, and honestly, at the end of the day, I don't know what it is. But there was like for some reason, I I, I compared it to my other six currently, which is um uh, the first Avengers uh, movie, the Joss Whedon one. And I think I love this movie. Maybe I've just seen it more. Is the other issue. But like it didn't hit me as a full six as the first Avengers did. I think the first Avengers, something about it, especially watching it now, really pulled me into a world of escapism, maybe is what it is, where I really needed this just like fun joy. And this movie was a, a lot more uh, denser and like really had me debating and questioning stuff a lot. Um, so maybe that's what it was. And it ended up in a, in a full six for me. But I can't I can't even fully pinpoint it. I just at the end of the day, as much as I wanted to be like six, I was just like, 
Um, because there's also going to be other movies that, for me that definitely hit us. Uh, well, I, I think, yeah, I my yeah. my whole thing on all of this is like I don't I don't mind giving multiple things a perfect score. And Civil War, uh, you know, getting a five point nine, it is it is such a technicality, and I am being so petty about it. But I just feel like being a little bit petty about it. But we're going to be coming up on multiple movies in um, Phase Three. That will be sixes off the top of my head. There are there's four the t- for me. off the top of my head. There are at least three. Uh, oh yeah, there are four. There are four. There are four sixes. There are four sixes still ahead, uh, yep. as far as far as I'm concerned. So I'm a five point nine. You're a five point nine. The audience is a little lower, not terribly. Uh, a five point three, which gives Captain America: Civil War a five point seven one. It's the second best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie so far. That top five right now looks like the Avengers in the number one spot. Civil War two, Guardians of the Galaxy three, Winter Soldier four, First Avenger five, Captain America dominating the house. Uh, as predicted yep. um, as it should this is maybe surprising uh, in the villains you and I are in lockstep I think that you and I I, I, I don't want to speak for you so so step in if, if I am uh, if I'm misrepresenting you I think for me there there is like a subtlety to the way that Daniel Bruhl plays the character but for me it is so much more about like um, the uniqueness of his story, how small it is, and because it's such a small crack, it's this hairline fracture that breaks the whole limb um, that I think is just so excellently done. And the fact that the villain is rendered so delicately in this movie, in a movie that is so grand in so many other ways, is just uh, outstandingly intelligent to me. So I, I give Zemo a five, which I know you do as well, Kevin. Yes, and I, it, you know, exactly as 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 you just said, and, and as I said before, he's just handled really, really well, and it's a villain that we haven't seen and don't really see again. Like even the Kingpin, you know, who we love in Daredevil, uh, the, the the Netflix show. If you haven't listened to our podcast about that, please go do so now. Um, is is a more intelligent villain, but at the end of the day, he also just punches people. Um, and I think this was such a differently done villain, and so unique, and so well done by Daniel Bruhl. And I think. Just a little thing is the messages, the way that the information about the villain was dulled out throughout uh, the film, where he's listening to that voicemail, and you think at first, obviously, it's like his real, you know, his 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 current present day, his, his wife is like leaving him a message, um, and then the 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 pull out at the end, the rug pull was so well done, and that conversation, not just, and I, I and again, I gotta attribute a little bit to delivery, the same way that we we give it to Tom Hiddleston for Loki, he just does such a good job and that moment with Black Panther and you know, it's Black Panther's line, but I also love that the, the, the world of living isn't done with you yet. is so great, but where he's with Martin Freeman and Martin Freeman's so smug about everything. And it's just like, you had, you know, uh, your plan failed. And he just like looks up with like the slightest smirk. And I was just like, did it like so well done. And I am equally excited to be seeing him um, in, you know, the, the Falcon and winter soldiers show. I mean, we talked about how excited I am for that because of the being reminded of the Bucky, Steve, uh, the the Bucky um, um, Sam friendship, which is not even a friendship; it's adversarial. Someone described this, and I think it's entirely accurate. By the way, it's like they're both friends with the same person, but not friends with each other. And then that friend just left the room, and it's just like, what? Do, what did they do? It's like in Seinfeld, where like whenever George and Elaine are together, <laughs> it's always weird for them because they're not friends with each other; they're just friends yeah. with Jerry. It's so it's so great, but also having him as a villain there, I think, is going to be really interesting um, because of his connection to that too. Um, so yeah, five for sure. He doesn't hit the full six, I think, because I think there's you know there's some great stuff in there, 
but I, I I don't think it's the full like top tier Marvel villain uh, level that we're going to be seeing from a few people. Very, very few. I think it also speaks a lot where we're just like, this is such a great villain. And it's also, I think, a villain problem. This is just what also exists as as we sort of mentioned within the MCU. But yeah, I think I think five across the board for you and I is 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 appropriate. Yeah, a five from me, a five from Kevin, a 4.4 from the audience. So still lower, but not as far away even uh, as the gap between us on the movie overall uh, and the audience's reaction to the movie. Um, But with those scores, Baron Zemo is the meat in a Loki sandwich here at the top. (laughs) the top three of the villain rankings. It's Loki 2.0 is still in the the one spot. Then it's Baron Zemo, and then it's Loki from Thor. Uh, and then it's Alexander Pierce, and then it's Ultron. Um, I just don't think that I would have expected uh, Baron Zemo to rank this high. I'm not mad at it. I, I think what he represents in the context of the movie is, is so great, and he is uh, a vital engine to that film. Uh, we also rank the post-credit scenes. This movie has two... Once again, Kevin and I lockstep. We are both <laughs> we are both fives for both of these scenes. There's the 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 Wakanda scene and there's the Spider Man scene. Um, take the four, Kevin. Why are are we fives on on this one? Well, it's funny because like a lot of the postcards we've seen before too that set up future stuff will either be excited or know how it turns out. So sometimes our rankings lower. I think for both, right? This is exciting because one, we got Black Panther in this movie. And when we first saw this movie, we were pumped because we got him in this movie. We saw what he's like. We were on board for him. And it set up the idea of Wakanda coming, you know, and the Black Panther movie on its way. And we got really, really excited. And I think that excitement is still there because we're like, yes, we love this character. He's so well done. And the Black Panther movie is coming and we know how good that movie is. So we are just in excitement. We're just like, yes, this is a post credit scene. We love it. Like if it was just Bucky, it would have been like, nah, fine. Because like, I will say like, I, you know, I like Bucky, but boy, oh boy, on this rewatch, he's a little more of a downer of a character. Um, Robin has compared him to, uh, since, again, we've been doing a rewatch, uh, a character from Angel that we don't like named Connor, who's a bit of a whiny teenager. And Bucky's sort of a whiny emo teenager, even though he is 20-something. Uh, he just hasn't left that phase. So, you know, maybe not a full six because of the Buckiness. But um, the other one, I think... I mean, I think we said exactly why, right? Like, Spider-Man. Like, same reason, almost. Like, we're so excited. Like, the two things that were introduced in this movie and giving us a tease of it setting up. Although, I don't think he ever uses that that thing, that, that like, spider signal, right? No, like, not, I don't that think I, I remember not that it I remember showing recall. up. Not that I recall. But it's, but it's fine. We are pumped for it. We are so excited. And we are so excited for Marissa Tomei. Oh, yeah. Uh, as Aunt May. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, there's just... Those post-credits get, I think got the five because we're still excited for those films and those films are coming up very soon look it's they both in tandem together uh round out our top five of post-credit scenes so far and and that is um with uh the 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 big blessing of the audience as well in terms of the scores so spider-man is in fifth position then it's the wakanda scene and then it's swarma thanos and nick fury there's a fairly big gulf between the ones from uh between the shawarma scene and the Wakanda scene, uh, though the Wakanda scene and the Spider-Man scene are both close. And then there's a pretty big gap to the next spot, which is the twins in Winter Soldier. Uh, the post-credit scenes are, are fun to have, but I do think that what we're seeing is like they are, you know, oftentimes more missed than hit. Um, or at least like they're more like, oh, that's fun uh, than like, yeah. And like these are two examples of yes. 
Black Panther, Spider-Man, yes. Even though we like we just got like a great taste of them. They were great parts of this meal. And now here's the promise of like, all right, well, the next time, you know, coming soon to the restaurant, we're doing like full theme dinner night. Uh, it's like, yeah, I want that. That sounds tasty. I'm I need ready that. For that. I want I need, that. I need I want, that. <laughs> I want that. I need that. All right. Those are the the rankings that you can submit to us. Super at postshowrecaps.com. Send us your rankings on the movies, the villains, and the post-credit scenes. And then Kevin and I, we do battle in our informal stone rankings where we're ranking two categories. One is the final battles of each movie. The other is the Stan Lee cameos. Uh, the Stan Lee cameo in this one. The Tony Stank. I uh, got a package for <laughs> Tony Stank, uh, which I'll just tell you where where I have it is. It's not at the Age of Ultron level. It's not you know a drunk Excelsior. Uh, it's not crazy stupid fine like Ant Man. It's not him drinking gamma radiated soda. Uh, but I do think it is the next best. I would put the Civil War cameo of him saying Tony Stank as our fourth best Stanley cameo so far. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I think that's a pretty good uh, spot for it, especially as a delivery person. I I don't believe was he was he regular like was he a, a FedEx? Look, yeah, he was. Uh, in, look it was him? clearly a FedEx tie-in. So okay, because uh, like uh, what's really interesting, you know, is that Stanley has played uh, a male person before um, in the Fantastic Four films, uh, which is what his cameo was, which is really interesting because that also tied into the actual comics uh, a character that existed who who delivered the mailman for the Fantastic Four. Um, so this was, I think, an interesting throwback to it, I think, is why it was also done, which is really nice. But you're right. The other three, I think, are just way more funnier, way more interesting. So it doesn't get as high, but Tony Stank is pretty Tony good. Tony Stank's funny. Tony, uh, Stank, Tony yeah. Stank is funny. I already told you where I want to put the final battle here. And what's crazy is we're not even talking about the airport scene. The airport scene doesn't, qual- it doesn't qualify. It doesn't qualify for a spot anywhere. If it did, whole other discussion. Whole, whole other discussion. <laughs> but I, I, for me, it's it's the number two for me because it means the most of any of the fights we have seen so far. Um, so if if you disagree with that, I I, I would need you to tell me why it is not as uh, high up uh, as I have it, which would be in the second spot. Uh, well, Josh, I think you will be glad to know I am in agreement and we are in a full It's so weird that Civil level. War is the one where we're like, like I just, just, we're just like, yeah. you know, virtually hugging each other on this podcast. And yeah. It's great. Maybe we don't fully agree about the registration stuff, but we do agree on our rankings of this film and where things land. I, 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 the, yeah, the reason why this, this ending fight, I mean, it's, it's extremely well choreographed. It's extremely well set up extremely well done but the real power of it is the emotion as you said in that fight there's a lot of emotion involved there's a lot of just the the draw of these characters and their personal stories again they do a good job because the ending fight to me ties into the theme about consequence of superheroism and consequence of actions and in that moment everyone is both right and wrong everyone sort of had like sees their point about superhero and registration and consequences and the need for you know oversight reflected and 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 contradicted in that moment and i think it's really powerful to have a fight like that and i think we've talked about it off on our own before but like it's a similar reason why to me i think my first possibly favorite possibly now second favorite uh star wars lightsaber battle is return to jedi and the reason why is because that ending lightsaber battle is not the flashiest, but it's so much powerful emotion behind it. It's so much about not 
you know, like the cool twirling and flipping and stuff, but about Luke's journey as a character and Vader's journey as a character and, and like seeing that reflected and, and the choice of light versus dark side is so powerful in that moment that that's similar here. The, the themes, the characters, everything is on the line in terms of a personal fight. And I love it. And it's really, really well done. And again, not even to say about the choreography, which is great. It's so great that there is what should have been a cheesy, dumb moment where you, they basically did this cover of the comic book Civil War where it's like Iron Man with his repulsor rays and Cap holding up the shield. And they actually had that shot in the movie in the final fight that could have easily landed with a just cheesy laugh. And it's great. And it's powerful. It's awesome. It's excellently shot. So to accomplish even that, I think, is attributed to the awesomeness of this final fight and how great. And Bucky's arm gets blasted off. What a moment. Like, I love, like when I saw it at theaters, I was just like, oh, like, just like, oh, yeah. Well done. The Russo brothers, I think, really proved themselves as like the rightful shepherds to the MCU for where they end up to endgame. Um, I think this movie showed that, like, yes, we gave the keys to the kingdom to the right people here. Um, and Kevin Feige, especially making choices across the board and, and, um, uh, Voldemort, you know, not around, uh, helped, I think a lot. Um, Kevin, um, is there a world in which you would argue that the civil war final battle, it should be ranked above, uh, the first Avengers movie that, that I, I, I don't think all the I way think it's too iconic it's, it's too, too iconic. iconic there's it's just too iconic. so much stuff well done that we're gonna see reflected now i'm not saying that can never be dethroned because there's certainly two examples that could definitely do it but Endgame's gonna do it for sure and i think will i put, think end game will be number one everything yes yeah. I, th- I think i think we all know where that's gonna be um i think infinity war is the argument to be made um possibly another one in there but um the the it's iconic and the way that they again utilize powers and having a bigger group I think worked well because we did see interplay in that as well. While it wasn't emotional, it was super heroic. And I think there was a lot there that I worked for. They'll keep it in the number one spot for a while. All right. Um, okay. Captain America, civil war. It's in the books. Even though this is the start of phase three, we are treating it as the end of phase two, which means we are not going to launch directly into another movie next, which is fine by me because the next movie is Doctor Strange and I have been low on Doctor Strange in the past and I need to shore up some energy to either uh, talk about why or to come up with a new stance on Doctor Strange. So no Doctor Strange podcast next week. What you will get instead, Kevin Mahadeo has already been exposed to the weird, strange wonders of Brant Steel, the service that we use for survivor simulations. Um, and it feels like this is low-hanging fruit. Survivor, Marvel Civil War is just there waiting to be plucked. As we were podcasting, I was texting back and forth with the great Mike Bloom, the king of Brant Steel. So we are going to make this happen. This is going to be the next podcast that is dropping in your feed. Kevin, should you and I be uh, competing on this season? I didn't I, compete on the last one. Didn't you? Weren't you behind that mask, little kid? Um, I, I mean, would maybe. I would honestly. I kind of want to just to redeem what happened last time. I'm really heartbroken about it, but just for de- just for determining the splits. Um, maybe this is something we could talk uh, talk through really quickly right now. Is uh, we've got we've got six versus six in a pretty clean way. 
um, through the airport battle, right? It's it's Iron Man and War Machine and Vision and Spider-Man, Black Widow and Black Panther on one tribe. Then you've got Captain America, Falcon, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, Wanda, and Bucky on another tribe. So you've got six and six there, and we got to get up to like 16 at least to have a classic survivor simulation. So we need to have two more people on each side of the line. I think General Ross... Uh, defending champion makes a lot of sense to put on Iron Man's side. Um, I don't know who is out there that makes sense to put on. Maybe Sharon Carter you could throw on the Captain America side. She does then, help uh, them. So, and then I guess you 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 are you are not going to be on. You're not going to feel good about being on an Iron Man tribe. No, I, I would definitely be on. I mean, I, I'm team cap on that one. Even you know what? You know, I'll, I'll just give you the edge if you get to choose your tribe. Uh, all right. So those are the tribes. We're revealing the tribes right now. Okay, you ready? <laughs> so here, here are the tribes. Uh, Captain America's uh, tribe is Captain America, Falcon, Ant Man, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Bucky, Sharon Carter, and Kevin Mahadev. <laughs> On Iron Man's tribe, it's going to be Iron Man, War Machine, Vision, Spider-Man, Black Widow, Black Panther, General Ross, and me. (laughs) You know what, though? Here's the funny thing. You got a pretty good crew because like Black Panther and Spider-Man already being on your side is A+. You got some good people. I got Bucky. Which is we're both be... we're both going pre-merge and it's going to be a delight. <laughs> I no, can't I wait. need to make the merge this time. <laughs> All right, so that's that's the podcast that's going to come into your feed uh, next week. So keep an ear out for that on the Everything Is Super podcast, and then we'll be back after that one with Doctor Strange. So feel free to skip a week, or at least you've got plenty of time to get your Doctor Strange feedback into us. Uh, a good chunk of time. Super at postshowrecaps.com is our email address for all of the rankings, all of the feedback, all of that. Send it that way. You can also hit us up on Twitter at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at Kev Mahadeo. We will be back with a Survivor Simulation as our next podcast. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye! Bye.